Please stand if you're able for the gospel reading. A reading from the gospel according to Mark. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Gospel of the Lord. immersion in water. Perhaps this is a journey that you're considering. Perhaps you have considered it. Perhaps you have never thought of it, but now you may be thinking of it for the first time. 
So if this is something that you are starting to feel maybe called to or something you're interested in and you have more questions or you'd like more conversation around it, we do invite you to reach out to one of our pastoral team here so that we can begin that conversation and that journey with you. So historically, for the new Christians... This season led to their baptism, and for the rest of the church, they would fast with these new Christians as an act of support for them, taking to heart the call to repentance and forgiveness. In Western culture, repentance is not something that we talk about all that often. It's a bit taboo as it causes some of us a little bit of uneasiness within us. And since society values comfort as one of our immutable rights, discomfort has been relegated to that which could offer little to no value for us. Little talk of repentance, of course, leads to little talk of forgiveness. And therefore, repentance and forgiveness quite easily become antithetical to a world that consistently affirms to us that we are the curators of our lives. Now, I want to be fair here. I do think that there are reasons, and sometimes really good reasons, why we've avoided these conversations. We haven't always been responsible or kind or accurate when discussing such things. Much of that falls at the feet of the church. Shame and guilt have been weaponized as a means of controlling unwanted behaviors, and as a reaction, we have ended up living in this either-or dichotomy where our options are that we fully immerse ourselves in our guilt, drowning in our own shame, or we avoid repentance altogether. But what if there is an alternate space? What if we are invited into that alternate space, the place that God actually calls us to, which is a place of safe repentance. Perhaps what Jesus has to offer us is neither of the two options that the culture offers us, but rather liberation and freedom that comes in the form of repentance and forgiveness. Could we believe that repentance is not God's gotcha moment? That what awaits us is loving safety of a God that so loved the world that he sent his only son. So as we heard in our gospel reading this morning, this Lent begins in the water. And not just any water, but the waters of Jesus' baptism. Jesus is fully submerged and he arises up through those waters we all live a life likely here in this room where water is incredibly ordinary to us. Water runs through our days. We drink, we wash, rinse, flush, bathe, repeat. Water is so common, so ordinary that we likely don't think much of it. We turn on a tap and there it is, our choice, hot or cold. We flush our toilets multiple times a day. We carry around these giant cups and thermoses so we can show everyone that we are great water drinkers. We have access to water in abundance. Water in our everyday life is quite ordinary. 
until we lose access to it. And I remember last year, our water got shut off for about five days, and I have never thought about water so much in my entire life. Every time I would instinctively go to turn on the tap, I was without water. I couldn't flush the toilets. We needed to boil water. And yes, I needed to make that long trek down my driveway to get water from the clean truck at the bottom of my driveway. And I found myself, I was surprised. I was really surprised at myself just how used to just having water accessible at my fingertips at any moment I had gotten how easy it was for me to slip into this feeling of annoyance once I didn't have it any longer. And so when my water got turned back on, I was so grateful. Every time I turned on my faucet, I was so happy that I had water. But like we are want to do, I quickly forgot about water once again. And it just happened to be something that was ordinary in my everyday life. So when we read this text, when we encounter Jesus in the waters of his baptism, we also must contend with ourselves and our tendency to view water, but many things in our life, merely as a means to an end. And if we don't do that, then this water that we see in this baptism story, it becomes sort of a symbol for us. Something for us to maybe imitate. And at its most stripped back meaning, it becomes maybe little more than a bath. Well, since none of our baths probably include uh, birds descending upon us or a voice of God coming from heaven, perhaps maybe we could believe that something more is happening here. Maybe we could believe that Jesus actually does something to the water. So as Jesus is coming up through the waters, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven declares, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And the Spirit sends Jesus out into the wilderness. So that language there of scent, it's actually better understood as a casting out or a driving out. There's force behind it. It's actually the same language that's used when Adam and Eve were sent from the garden, when they were cast out from the garden. So we have the second Adam, which Jesus is often referred to, the second Adam, the perfect Adam, going out to do what was not possible with the first Adam. He is going into the wilderness to bring wholeness there. Just as a little bit of an aside, I found out this week that not all traditions depicted the Holy Spirit as a dove. Some Celtic Christians likened the Holy Spirit to another kind of bird. And as I sat and thought about it, I thought, well, maybe this makes a little bit more sense for this passage. Perhaps this would suit this particular passage a little better. These Celtic Christians identified the Holy Spirit as a wild goose. Now, I've heard these guys called a lot of things, never the Holy Spirit. Perhaps if you've encountered one of these, you may call upon the Holy Spirit. 
I don't know, maybe Celtic geese are nicer than Canadian geese. <laughs> but all joking aside, I do wonder if this helps us just a little bit grasp the language of this idea of Jesus being driven out. Being driven out doesn't really seem like dove-like language. It's more like goose-like language. And Jesus is driven out by the Holy Spirit, but not as a separate force. We have to understand that the Spirit is not separate from Jesus. But this force is in cooperation with the will of God and the willingness of Jesus. So we get this image of the heavens being torn apart, which of course is similar imagery to Jesus' death on the cross as the veil is torn Both instances tell us that something cosmically irreversible is beginning. The heavens are opening and the holy is hallowing the unsanctified water and wilderness. And of course, hallowing means to make holy. Chris Green says, Jesus was baptized not to wash away his sins, but to sanctify the waters. In the same way, he was tempted not to prove his sinlessness, but to hallow the wilderness. And I think this is really important because I think we can easily misunderstand Jesus' baptism. Jesus is what makes baptism holy, not the other way around. It is Jesus entering into the waters ahead of us, going into the depth, sanctifying them, which gives us our baptismal waters. And what Chris also points out in his book, Being Transfigured, is that in Mark's gospel, baptism and wilderness are not two separate stories. They're actually stories that are meant to be told together as one story See, there's no post-baptism celebration for Jesus. No drying off times, no baptism sheet cake from Costco. Jesus is driven out, sopping wet, and dripping the water of baptism out into the wilderness. What we know about the wilderness is that it's occupied by wild animals, unknown and untamed And it is a space in which Satan resides, waiting to pounce on exposed vulnerability. There, Jesus is put under the temptations of Satan for 40 days. And Mark doesn't actually give us much more than that. He doesn't go into all the details of what it is that Jesus endured during those 40 days. It's such a quick account, we could almost miss it. Mark's gospel is fast-paced. We easily skip along from point to point to point unless we stop ourselves from doing so. Unless we force ourselves to slow down and see what Mark sees. The angels attended him. Just four words. But they suggest a lengthy task. What Jesus endured could not be shaken off. We don't get a picture of Jesus bounding from the wilderness victorious. We are left with a Jesus who has given of himself to the point of exhaustion and dehydration, lying there in the desert, 
being attended to. Jesus entered into the places of chaos, vulnerability, and despair, and he conquered and made those unholy spaces sacred. Not for his sake, but for ours. Because these are the places that humans encounter. These are the places that humans inhabit. A journey of following Jesus, it will not be without the wilderness. That is a fact. That is something that we are actually promised. But what we encounter there, the forces that we come against, they're already under Jesus' authority. The forces that reside there, they want to lure us into grasping for idols that have no real power. They are illusions, illusions that try to convince us that it is better to grasp for our own security than to trust Jesus for it. They try and convince us that we can make our own individualized sacred spaces and we could make them possibly even better. But here's the good news for us all. We do not purify the waters of our own baptism. And we cannot make the waters or the wilderness holy. We do not hallow our own places of wrestling. That is the work of Jesus. Not our pastors, not our parents, not our good behavior, not our good intentions, not what kind of prayers we pray, but Jesus is the sanctifier which means that neither can we contaminate these places. And I think that some of us need to hear that from time to time. You cannot contaminate that which Jesus has already made holy. It's why so much of the Christian life is in community. It's why baptism is a community event because it's good for us to be reminded of our own baptisms. And it's good for us to be reminded that what is true for me and my baptism is also true for each of us and each of our baptisms. We all have encounters with wilderness. We will all be faced with the things that tempt us. And we can remind each other that it is Jesus and only Jesus that hallows the waters and the wilderness. And so when Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. This is good news because this invitation to repentance, it is never without the presence of a God who wants to forgive. It is an invitation into something that is both intimate and cosmic. Like so many things that we've become used to over time, we become used to carrying baggage of things that Jesus asks us to give over. And sometimes it isn't even obvious to us that we are still hanging on to these things. We've gotten so used to the feel of them on our body, to the feel of them inside of us, that they become a part of us. They're part of the weight that we carry around but the heavens are ripped open by the force of God's love and the kingdom of God came near to set the captives free. 
the oppressed, the marginalized, the poor, the forgotten, and those of us who are held captive by our own sin, which is all of us. Henry Nouwen, in his book called With Open Hands, talks about these things that we hold on to as golden coins. But they are coins that have no real value. They only have value in our minds. But in reality, they are not worth anything at all. But we've convinced ourselves that they are. So we've balled up our fists around them in protest of their release. Anger, resentment, revenge, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, apathy. We become so used to carrying them around that we don't always know that they're there. And then once we are made aware of it, the prospect of loosening our grip and revealing what has been hidden becomes overwhelming. Now and warns us that we can become attached to these things, that become, they become a part of our identity, causing us to be stuck in this vicious cycle between our own apathy and awareness towards our condition, cycling us further into places of shame and fear. He says, often you will catch yourself wanting to receive your loving God by putting on a semblance of beauty, by holding back everything dirty and spoiled, by clearing just a little path that looks proper. But that is a fearful response, forced and artificial. Such a response exhausts you and turns your prayer into torment. And I think repentance has likely felt like that for some of us. Maybe you felt that way before, and it has kept you from entering that space again. I don't know what you're carrying. We all have something. If you're like me, we have multiple things. Jesus wants us to open our tightly clenched fists and show him what we've been hanging on to. There's nothing too ugly. There's nothing too scandalous. There's nothing too anything for him because he's already seen it. He has already faced it for you. He has been to the oppressive places so that you could be freed from it. So what does it look like for us to really believe that as a community? For us to freely repent with the knowledge that there is an all-loving God who is already waiting with forgiveness. So in a moment, we're going to pray a prayer of confession. I'm going to invite you to join me in that. And this is going to move us towards the Eucharist table. Maybe the idea of confession is still scary. It's vulnerable. But if you're willing, I'm just going to ask that for a moment you would close your eyes. That you would take a couple of deep breaths. And just think about what it is that you would want to confess to Jesus. 
So the beauty of corporate confession is it is private, but never alone. So you think about these things that you would like to confess to Jesus, these things that you would like to hand over to Jesus. And as you think of those things, I would like you just to take your hands and open them up with your palms facing up in an open posture. This is a posture that says that we are prepared to receive that which the Father is so eager to give. He is so eager to meet you in that space. He is so pleased to offer forgiveness. And if you're able, please join me in this prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. So as we turn our hearts towards the table, and Christine is going to lead us in the Eucharist, let us say this affirmation of faith together. I believe and trust in God, the Father Almighty. I believe and trust in Jesus Christ, his Son. I believe and trust in the Holy Spirit. I believe and trust in the three and one. Thank you, Kristen. The gospel and the table invite us to remember that we do not live alone, or even by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us pray. Lord, you are with us. And with joy, we lift our hearts to you to give you thanks and praise. O oh Lord, for you called creation into being and invited a people to be your own. In Jesus, you embodied your call to the whole world to be your friends and to eat with you at your table. Through your spirit, you beckon us to become members of your body and channels of your grace. The scripture says this about communion. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Remembering Jesus' instructions, we proclaim our faith together. Christ has died. 
Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Recalling his death, resurrection, and ascension, we offer you this bread and this cup. Uniting our worship with all the angels, as our Savior taught us, let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And now hear this invitation to come. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because of any goodness of your own, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love the Lord a little and you would like to love him more. Come because he loved you and gave himself for you. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So please stand and worship and come to the table with your row, with your hands in a receiving posture. And you can say amen or thanks be to God. We have allergy aware, and we will also come to your seat if you are unable to come to the front. <laughs> 